<laughs> you can't save me from yourself. A couple of messages coming through. Uh, Sandra saying, thanks so much for the conversation regarding being a non-believer, but being spiritual, it's my stance in life. And then also on Twitter as well, Matabani Boschiello saying, good morning, Michelle. Thank you so much for bringing Iman onto the SAFM. She's such a great broadcaster. I spoke on the radio to her. Um, she was the first broadcaster I spoke on the radio to her, and she's amazing. FM Nomad in um, F. Mangira saying, ah, oh, how I miss Iman Rapetti's voice and being on the airwaves, listening to her daily. Thank you so much. What a treat. And she is such a deep and erudite person, certainly. And you're welcome to keep WhatsApping your messages as you enjoy and as you listen, you can WhatsApp, you can send them through on SMS, Twitter, uh, or X, or even call us on 86 41391 She is our guest today. Iman, you can't save me from yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, I can't believe that song crept through because I sent your producer and do uh, two other songs and I deleted that one. So I, don't know, I didn't know that it got in. I want to say two things. First of all, each and every message is like nectar. I'm drinking it slowly and I'm enjoying it so much. <laughs> Thank you for the appreciation. I love that. And the second thing is, Michelle, I don't know if people know this and maybe they would have known this. I'm a, the hugest sucker and romantic on the planet. I write notes. If, if somebody moves me, I'll write a poem. Um, you know, if something happens, I'll write it down. And I'm looking for love. I'm, I'm longing for love in my life. That's what I want. Um, and it manifests, you know, in so many different ways. I, I, I love, you know, that song about being, you know, um, in, in the wrong place at the wrong time with the right person. Isn't timing just the bane of our existence? Like you could have the perfect person, but it's not the right time for them or it's not the right time for you. And then you have to let them go and you watch their shadows lengthen, you know, across the road as they disappear into the horizon. Which is why we have to live in the world which the author Lauren Bierkus talks about in Bridge. I mean, it's future fiction, science fiction, and it's... It's uh, the fact that you can shift your timing because you can just move to another universe where the timing is different and you become slightly different, but you are still ultimately, it's just one of your other selves. So maybe we can work <laughs> towards that in a long, hard, slow. Oh, Michelle, I can see you and I having tea because I love how you've just responded <laughs> to, to what I've just said. And But is that what it's going to take, this alternate universe, this always this other place for things to be happier, sweeter, well-timed, convergent? I wish it could happen now. And, you know, yeah. human beings come in so many different flavors. Um, and I just, you know, I, I want a flavor that matches mine. You know, yes, raspberry, we're going to, I'm sure people have got lots of flavors that they can send in right <laughs> now. Iman, um, in one of your, your articles, you, you, you wrote about um, toxic positivity and ruinous empathy. Now, I've always been intrigued by the idea of toxic positivity, and I've kind of been think, keep thinking, am I being toxically positive when I just say, come on, you can do this, or whatever the case may be, or when I sort of celebrate the one person who's doing something absolutely amazing, but not everyone can do those amazing things, because as you say, there is timing, there is geography, there is history, you know, there is access, there is agency. Talk to us about how you address that in, in your role as well as a media person, as a public speaker and the like. Again, such an excellent question. I just love how you've, you know, you've kind of picked some some really great nuggets for our conversation. Um, I am Tigger in the 100 Acre Wood, perpetually. 
the world is great. I'm bouncing. And I thought for a long time that being that way around my friends, my family, my children was going to be a good thing. It would be contagious and, and they could, you know, they could positivize their way out of their malaise or their melancholy. But what it actually does is that toxic positivity is not cognizant of the reality of what someone is going through and we're willing them to go past the hard part very quickly and into into joy and positivity and as someone it might have been oscar wilde i think uh, who said the only way i I think i'm wrong it might have even been roosevelt the only way out is through Mm. we have to allow people the process to be sad to be angry to make sense of their emotions you can't just motivational speak someone out of what they're going through because there's a deep recognition, deep lesson learning that happens in trauma and in sadness and in pain. And I've started taking that on as a way of tempering my toxic positivity. The ruinous empathy part also, now that's which is a term counterbalance. I, had, I, hadn't read, I hadn't read or heard of that term before. Tell us what that means. Uh, the ruinous empathy mm. is when you... When you're in a, and so where this all comes from, actually, just as an aside, is I do a lot of corporate work now and corporate leadership development, and it's all in the DNI, the you know diversity, equity, and inclusion universe. So we're helping teams of people and executives understand and work better in in a way that they can transform uh, positively. So this concept of being you know a leader who is ruinously um, empathetic means that you don't allow the teams to to muscularize themselves and to Hmm. deal with what they need to deal with. You want to always be the good guy, the good girl. You know, you're always listening. You're always accepting and nodding your head in acquiescence. And sometimes that that can actually hold people back. It can have a paralyzing effect, especially in a corporate setting. Those individuals, those team members have to be allowed a space in which they can authentically make themselves stronger and rise to Uh, the challenge of leadership but if you're constantly there making everything okay making everything okay and saying you know in a way you're causing them to stagnate so those two terms working you know uh, quite complement in in a very strong complementary way allow us to just see ourselves because we think being positive is great being empathetic is is great and it is to a point but when it doesn't allow the other person to really evolve into their fullness of being then it becomes problematic. I mean, it's amazing because what it implies, and I, and I hope I've got this right, is that you could be in a work situation and one of your team um, really makes a very bad choice or does something t- which really impacts on the rest of the team in, in negative ways. And if you just have this kind of uh, toxic uh, empathy where you go, no, it's okay, it's fine. I, I I realize, you know, that you've had a hard time, therefore. But what has happened is it's impacted everybody else in that case. And so they never get the opportunity to recognize what they might have done. Absolutely. You're spot on with that um, example. And, and another one would be almost in a way paternalizing the relationship yes. between leader and team member by saying everything that they did was, you know, was was really nice. And and you're saying something nice for the sake of saying something nice, but it's not grounded in, in real authenticity. And you undermine your own credibility in that process as well. Um, and you're also not allowing the other person the opportunity to see perhaps that they've done something wrong and where their opportunity to grow is. It's a very, I mean, it's a high wire act completely. 
So but I think the more that we lean into the understanding of of all of that, we we just become better, and and we stop imposing ourselves, our joy and our empathy on people, because sometimes it is a bloody imposition. It it certainly is. I'm just laughing because we've just got a tweet that came through. Um, Phoenix Stecky, Ash hey, Phoenix Stecky in the house, and that's Warren. <laughs> <laughs> what kind? What kind? What kind? Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love that. I love that. I love it. Thank you. You know, um, I've got to share a quick joke with you, Michelle. So when I was at ML Sultan, which is now a DUT, Durban University of Technology, there's one word that could mean a thousand different things if you come from Phoenix like I do. Yeah. So you you just see someone and the greeting is, so? (laughs) And so could mean, like, how are you? How was the weekend? You know, all sorts of things. And I, I miss that so much. I think... I mean, I mean, and that's why I love going back. My brother still lives in Phoenix. I've been to our school. And and by the way, you know, all of those schools, I'm so sad, um, are struggling so much mm. financially. But they've produced and, and those teachers work so hard um, in those communities. And I, I just really want to take my hat off to them. You know, there was someone we interviewed. I think it was a Dr. McQuenna. She's a, a linguistic um, a, a, a professor. And she was talking about how when you go um, – into certain places in the Northern Cape, you talk about distance, not through the actual distance. You go, um, if you're going to give directions, you go, um, well, you go down the road and turn left, or you go down (laughs) the road and turn left. And she's actually done an entire study on how we use words in different ways. And that's so, it's just, uh, that's so Durban. I'm sorry, so... (laughs) Oh, so what? So good. So happy. So, you know, so. Oh, yeah. So, oh, I love it. And, and there's such a richness and, and it speaks to me about the layering in our communities as well, how we develop our own languages. I mean, you know, the dialect uh, in Phoenix could be very different from the dialect somewhere in any other similar community around the country. And that's what makes it so rich and so special. We've got Teddy Matera on the line for you. He's obviously a filmmaker and, I mean, there was, what was a great movie. Um, he's on the line. Teddy, how's it? Teddy, how's Michelle? Okay, Teddy, you need to just pause or, or shift or take that, take that phone closer to you, but don't dance. Can you hear me? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. Great, go for it. I just wanted to say to both of you, Michelle and Iman, what an honor. Iman, my sister, I can't begin to express my gratitude um, for the kind of commitment you show, you know, and how you managed to play with words and questions. But I, I wanted to, as a fellow sort of media person, ask you, has your, how's your work of probing and asking questions Kind of made you listen differently. Ha. Excellent. So oh, I'm wow. gonna uh, Teddy, beautiful. if you don't mind, yeah. we're gonna we if you can maybe listen on the radio. We're gonna go to a break. I will. I want I'll, I'll I wanna get that break out of the way. But I I love that question. The concept of listening. So um we'll go to the break if we can and then Iman will take your answer after that. Thanks. Michelle Constant on SAFM. It's 20 to 10, and it's such a privilege and a delight to be talking to Iman Rapetti and just really finding out more. Iman, Teddy Matera, the film I was thinking of was the fabulous Max and Mona. Um, Teddy Matera asked such a great question, the idea of listening when you are constantly talking 
interviewing, asking questions, maybe challenging. Talk to us about that. Uh, Teddy has it, by the way, and this is uh, the great Don Matera's son. Of course. Um, Teddy, as you know, and I've said this many, many times, um, you know, your dad was uh, somebody who really opened up the way Mm. for a lot of journalists in this country. And I just want to appreciate your family's contribution. The, the listening, so so he, this is my take on it, and I don't think everyone will agree, uh, Michelle, but for example, when you're listening to a politician, for me, there's almost a hygiene list in the background in my mind, uh, in my operating system. Uh, where have I heard this before? What are they saying? Is it factual? Is it correct? What did they say previously? So it's more interrogative, I think, the style of listening. So you have this almost elite and, and hypersensitivity to the facts and and that filtering happens uh, with that in mind. But when you're talking to a woman whose child has been killed uh, or or whose children have died in a shack fire or, you know, whose family has been traumatized, there's a, there's a softening. It's almost like listening through a velvet filter. Hmm. Your tone changes. And in the way that your tone changes um, in how you handle that conversation textually, there's a softening, I think, in the heart and the mind because you, you're gearing in a different way to listen to that. Or if it's something exciting, um, it, in, in a sense, because we're the conduit for the public in these conversations, the holier and sacred objective is to do what is in the public interest, to always hold the public in the center of that conversation and not to let it be a conversation that Iman wants to have um, or that is about my interest, but I'm serving a purpose on a platform for other people. So there's all of those factors that have to come together and dance together symphonically in perfect synchronicity for the Mm. right moment so you can have the right tone of conversation. Fabulous answer, and Teddy, fabulous question. I think it's one of those questions that anybody who works in the media world uh, loves to interrogate and actually think about as well. So we've got your two guests on the line. We've got um, Advocate Louisa Zondo, who is Board Secretary and Chair of Oxfam South Africa's Funding Committee. We've also got your second guest, Kumi Naidu, on the line as well. Kumi also hailing from Durban and uh, well-known as a human rights and climate justice activist. Tell us why you've chosen both of them. Because I love them, (laughs) because I'm selfish, (laughs) and because I could, and I loved this opportunity. When when Mdu, our producer, said... Uh, who would you like to have? There was just no doubt that it was going to be these two individuals. I know they're so busy, but thank you to both of them for making the time this morning. So so why do you love them? So Kumi, I first met when I was a teenager, bright-eyed, cusp of <laughs> democracy, you know, a person who was big in, the, in, in, in our liberation struggle. Uh, and he talks a lot about it in his book, Letters to My Mother. Yes. Um, so, so inspiration right there and all of his work is well documented. So I, I'm, I'm so glad that he could be with us because he's made such an impact. Um, and Advocate Zondo, whom I just know as, as, as Louisa, what a tender, beautiful soul, a titan in her own right in her field. But when you, when you come closer to, to Louisa and to, and to Kumi, um, something, there's a magic that happens with certain people. Yeah. Um, especially when you when we've had major experiences in our lives, major gains and losses, and you're you're conscious, you know, you're you're always on that path of being so vulnerable and strong at the same time, and 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 that's the only the best explanation, probably the weakest explanation um, for why I love them both so much. Kumi and Advocate Zonda, we want to welcome you to the show, and I suppose I would like to throw it back to both of you. 
um, what it is that you see in your relationship with Iman and the worlds that you've occupied with her. I, uh, Advocate Zondo, I'll start with you. Greetings, greetings to both of you and to listeners at large. Um, may I just start off by asking that I be called Louisa? Sure. And um, also uh, just correcting um, an, an, the part in the introduction where you refer to Oxfam South Africa. I am no longer with uh, Oxfam South Africa. Our I was their, their, their acting executive director until the day um, when our son um, passed, and I just couldn't continue with, with those, with that and many other roles. Yeah. Talk to us about uh, Louisa. Talk to us about your relationship with Iman. Ah. <laughs> Iman doesn't know where my relationship with her starts, but it starts a long time before we actually met face to face while on SAFM and doing those shows where she would op- open up with um, a lot of spirited, hearty, uh, inspiring uh, talk. And, and, and I just uh, I used to imagine what kind of person she was. Um, over, as she spoke over the air, but she captured my heart at that time. Then the connection um, that Iman has with Kumi led uh, to me meeting directly with Iman and with her family and all that spiritedness, that heartfulness of her just came alive. Um, and that's, that's how I connect to her. I think that's a, that's a word. Spirited, hearty, and inspiring. Kumi, would you <laughs> <laughs> would you like to add to that wonderful list? Uh, yes, thank you. Greetings, everyone. Um, well, you know, I am surprised that Iman turned out so good. You know, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> because because she's a phoenix techie, as we heard earlier. <laughs> no, no, because what she didn't tell you was that I was a lecture at uh, what was then Hamilton Technicon, which is now Durban University of Technology. And I'm really, really, very pleased that even though most of my students, Iman included, were bunking classes, <laughs> coming when they wanted to, uh, and all that. But they've all excelled, you know, amazingly. And I tell you, Iman, whenever time I hear on the radio or television or whatever, I'm just filled with joy to see how amazing a role that she plays in our society. Our society needs people today who are willing to push the boundaries of analysis, who are willing to speak truth to power, and who are also able to kind of inspire people that uh, living with purpose and not giving up is the right thing to do. And I've taken a little bit of that inspiration from uh, Iman. And I'm so grateful to have that presence in my life after all these years. I'm an old guy now, <laughs> almost about to eat. <laughs> and I met her when I was in my 20s, so uh, really happy that she's still in my life. Uh, yeah. uh, okay, Iman, I'm gonna, uh, we have to go to a break, but when we come back from the break, uh, you are the guest presenter here, so you've chosen the songs, you've chosen your guests, and I'm sure you have a, a couple of uh, vigorous, rigorous 
questions that you'd <laughs> like to put to them on the spot, so to speak. We'll do that after the break. At SAFM Radio and at Mesh Constant on SAFM. 10 to 10, you're with SFM 104 to 107. Don't forget, at 10 o'clock, the lovely KG is on with Seasons, always bringing you a soundtrack to your Sunday in the best possible way. Best possible way, there are three extraordinary people on the air, Iman Rapetti, Kumi Naidu, and Advocate Louisa Zondo. And all of them doing exactly what Kumi Naidu was talking about a little earlier, pushing the boundaries and certainly raising and questioning and putting the question of speaking truth to power. Iman, it's yours. I'm handing over the floor to the expert. <laughs> <laughs> so much pressure, Michelle. You oh, know that I I'm know, completely hard, rusty eh? at this after five years. <laughs> and you do it so brilliantly. Okay, so you're all in my hands. Uh, Louisa, Kumi, thank you for making the time this morning. Um, and I, there, there were three sort of main areas that I wanted to cover. We only have a few minutes. Is... Um, First of all, where we are right now, um, Louisa, you ri- you've written a book recently, uh, Dear Mariki, which is a series of letters t- from between you and um, and Ricky Rick, who, which is, which is how we know him in the public, mm. your son. Um, this painful chapter, and often in the aftermath of tragedies like this, we the rest of the public lives in the tragedy. Yep. The family has to find a way to transcend and move on. Would you mind? opening up and just sharing with us what that has been like and where you're at at this point. Louisa? Just throw everything at us. Um, It continues to be hard. It continues to be filled with surprises. Um, But what's also reality is it continues to show some blessings, some opportunities, joy is capable of um, just settling with us. But there is a huge thing, uh, which is we continue to uh, see layers and layers of challenge in the grief. And so um, the lessons about continuing to communicate continuing to um, hold each other to work through challenges um, in relationships and some are old and they, they almost feel like there's they, 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 they are fossils of difficulty within the family and the relationships and they are coming up now in the, as we soften the rounded grief and as we, as we move closer and apart in the grief. So that that's just to emphasize how it continues to to bear everything, including the growth, though, and the beautiful things that are emerging from the memory of Ricardo, from building on the legacy um, of of Ricardo. Iman, may may I jump in and just ask a question with relation to this, uh, because it goes back to what we were saying um, earlier about the public and the personal. And Louisa, I think for many of us, the concept of grief is an incredibly personal one. Um, how we grieve within ourselves, how we grieve in our own very personal space. The challenge, of course, is to have your grief, A, made public, and having the public grieve as well. Mm. Mm. How did yeah. you deal with that? 
You know, from the very beginning for me, and it would be different with other mm. family members, but for me personally, from the very beginning, um, there was something that drew me to, to, to really feel the pain of others. I mean, from the first day, those young people, I, I, just, I just felt for them. And, and I think the, the, the only thing I could draw from myself to give to them was the, I am so sorry. And, and, and that, that's how I felt throughout the time uh, uh, in relation to how the public have grieved and how they've shared their experiences. I've been, um, I've felt their sorrow, I've felt their breaking, but I've also um, embraced the fact that it's a connection that helps me as well. So I've, I've in the main, I've, I've not paid any attention to ne the negative aspects because I've just felt they are much, much less than the huge gift of being held and being with people and also being able to give something to, to, to people. Thank you so much, Louisa. Thanks, Louisa. And, you know, in this moment, I just say love to Bianca, to the children and to all Ricardo's brothers as well. Um, you, you've just been such a light. And as you say, there's such complexity in the moment. There's still ongoing struggles and challenges we have to deal with. And that is very much a, a part of the nature of life. Kumi, I want to come to you and... You've, you've had this prolific life of, you know, whether you wanted it or not, being thrust into the public eye through your activism, your environmental work, uh, and being an environmental warrior. And it has its benefits, but it also takes its toll. And kind of at this moment, this sort of pinnacle in your life where you're getting ready to go to Stanford University for a year as a, a, a guest professor there or, or a guest lecturer there, um, how does it feel looking back on the arc of your life as you telescope hmm. backwards, you know, and, and what is the toll, what is the cost being of being this public activist? Kumi? I, I, I think, I think mostly I'm saying to people today uh, when the world seems to be in more and more crises, yeah. the climate crisis and so on, when I, when I say, when you reflect back and you look at the present and think about the future, we have to Could be, be sorry to interrupt. I'm, I'm so sorry. I think there might be a radio on, so we've got a little bit of a, an echo, uh, an interference. Oh, okay. Can you hear me better now? Much better. Okay. So I think given the moment of history we in, when I reflect on my generation's life, my own life, looking back, I mean, you can be incredibly kind of down, right? Because if you look at what our country has become and the hopes that we had, you know, of what it would be. It can, even I've heard people actually say, oh, I now regret having sacrificed so much for the struggle. And it's very sad for me to see that, to hear that. But where we are now, my message to people is generally pessimism is a luxury we simply cannot afford. Sure. That the pessimism of our analysis must be overcome by the optimism of our thoughts, our creativity and our action. And so, yes, I would be lying to you if I said to you that I don't feel terrible pain about the betrayal 
that we have seen of our people through state capture, looting, corruption, arrogance, inefficiency, and all of that. Of course, that's there. But we have to be always looking to the future and always telling ourselves that the world we live in, the country we live in, is not the best that is what we are able to create. We have to be pushing to actually create better. So, in fact, um, the work I'll do over the next year in fact, to be honest, it started off with a writing project called The Reflections of a Failed Activist. Right? And people said, no, 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 people said, no, 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 that's too, too negative, that's too negative. So I'll be looking at this question together with Louisa on um, how can activism win faster and win bigger? Because we are in denial about how close to the climate cliff we are. We are almost out of time, and if we don't get politicians and business people to act with greater urgency, we are not destroying the planet. Let me just say there is some good news. Uh, The planet does not need saving. The planet is fine. Because if you think about it, if we continue on the path that we're on, we destroy our water, we destroy our soil, it gets too hot, we cannot plant food. The end result is we will be gone. Mm. The planet will still be here. And once we become extinct as a species, the forest will recover, the oceans will replenish and so on. So we must understand that the struggle to avert climate change is nothing more and nothing less than protecting our children and their children's future. And we have our two grandchildren with us in the next room staying very quiet right now. And for them and for all the other children in the world, uh, we are going to fight right until the end of our days for justice and to try to secure their future. I'm afraid, guys, we have to leave it there. It's uh, already gone 10 o'clock for the news. I think, uh, uh, Iman, uh, to end end with uh, Kumi's words, pessimism is a luxury we cannot afford. And also what I would Mm -hmm. like to say is one of our listeners said, thank you. Today's menu was full of cream and richness and soul fulfillment. <laughs> so we I say, love it. We say thank you to you. Thank you for making the time. Thank you for giving us your songs and introducing your guests. And we wish you all the very best for the rest of your Sunday. Lots of love to everyone. Iman Rapetti. And that's it from us. It's no longer good morning. It's now goodbye.